welcome aboard the battleship pretension. Whoa, hang on now. I was, I literally just saw Could you the be word. more loose? We just talked for half an hour. You should be all loosened up. You know what? Because of last week, which you cut out, uh, thankfully, uh, because of uh, last week head? where I, th- I, I said the wrong intro, Yeah, I was like, don't say the wrong thing. Don't say... Well, now you're saying the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, you started with Live from New York on Saturday night, which is really weird. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but we're leaving this in, I of course, assume. Of okay. course, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, you're, you're, like, I, I, you stumbled. It reminded me of the fact that we've been talking for half an hour it means you should be loosened up. But it reminded me of back in college. Mm-hmm. We were in college together. But I was... a. Uh, at actual college, like at the school, like I had a great time during the time I was at school. But yeah. when I was at school, I also had a good time, but I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't talk a lot. So I would get up in the morning, make my breakfast, get ready, get on the train, go to school all day, get on the train, go back and get to work. Mm-hmm. And it would be maybe eight hours into my day before I actually spoke to someone. Yeah. And so I would walk into work and be like, hey, how's it going? Like, <laughs> <laughs> my voice would be all like like it needed like it needed to knock the dust off it or not uh, knock the rust off it maybe yeah uh and that's kind of what you just had happen there as if so, you were woken a from a deep sleep and said quick quickly announce the beginning <laughs> of the <laughs> hello welcome <laughs> welcome aboard the battleship hey what what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys okay so in my room um welcome aboard the battleship pretension he's tyler smith i'm david Bax. let me tell you how i'm doing Oh, I don't like that at all. Tyler, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, what time is that? It's fall. You wouldn't know it from the temperature outside, but yeah. Yeah, that's true, but that doesn't matter because um, it it may have, you know, this may have maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think we talked about it before, but all the, not all, but a lot of great movies come out in the fall. Mm -hmm. We're through the summer drought. We're through all the superheroes. Are there any more superheroes this year? I mean, obviously, The Flash is on weekly on the there's, CW. Uh, what channel is The Flash on? CW, it says right? CW, yeah. Yeah, there's Gotham, Gotham on Fox. Fox. But in movie theaters. Well, Are we um, done with superheroes for the year? There's Birdman. Oh, yeah, but I'm excited about Birdman. Yeah, me Kind too. of. It's not really a superhero movie. Yeah, but I am excited about it. Yeah, um, me too. I mean, I, I, what's the... Um, Aronofsky, right? What? What's his name? Uh, Inuritu? Inuritu, yeah. yeah. I knew it was one of those, like... Uh, who I'm a fan of, too, guy, yeah, but, but he's one, for the most part. Like Aronofsky, he's one of those guys who is um, very... Uh, his movies tend to be real mopey, you know? Yeah, but, but this he's one a, He's a miserableist, I think. Kind of, yeah. Uh, but this one looks funny. It does. And that's why I'm excited about it. Well, and it makes you wonder, like, oh my gosh, what does this guy's <laughs> sense of humor look like? And I don't uh-huh. even mean disturbing. I mean bad. Right. Like, it could be bad. It has good casting. Okay, so... I'm excited for that. You're making my point here. Fall is the time when I get excited about a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, It's also, of course, we mentioned TV. You know, it's the fall TV season. Yeah. Not that that means as much as it used to, you know, because... Does it not? You know more about this than I do. Well, the networks still stick to, you know, have a lot of premieres in the fall. Yeah. But you don't see, you know... Cable tends to have stuff because they run these like twelve or thirteen week runs to just do it all year round. Yeah, so it doesn't mean as much uh, as it used to. But I'm excited for the return of things like the Amazing Race. We didn't talk about the Amazing Race. We didn't talk about we the didn't Amazing talk race. about the Amazing Race. The Soul Surfer is on. Yeah, uh, some people from Survivor. I'm, I assume you were uh, familiar with them. I'm familiar with them. I don't like them, but that's fine. Uh, well, they're they're the uh, for a second. 
listeners bear with us this is going to be amazing race talk for a second um if it weren't for the fact because i didn't watch survivor if it weren't for the fact that they had southern accents they would be the bland white couple that i forget about every week every season there's one like bland but good-looking white couple Mm. right that every week i go oh right who would like who are they what's their story again well and Survi- because of their southern accents okay i'm gonna remember them. they're the southerners got yes it. exactly that's how yeah. i remember them well on survivor they were the bland good-looking white people that are clearly attracted to one another that's oh so that's they weren't basically. a couple before they were survivor. not this wasn't she, a blood believe, and water thing. i believe she was married at the time wow, wow. so to then, someone else to someone else that's been established right yeah okay uh but, uh, yeah, Amazing Race. Again, this will be Amazing Race talk. I won't spoil who got eliminated in case um, you you haven't watched yet. But this thing, I don't know why people agree to take the penalty. And they think, like, oh, we're all, like, the three of us are going to go in and take the penalty. That's such a crapshoot to me. It really is. It, you know? It, like, I, I wouldn't do it. And There's for, only been one time, and it's back when actually a different uh, survivor Robin Amber. on Robin Amber, yeah. where he managed to take the penalty, but he managed to do it in such a way that he would he agreed to take it and then convinced everybody to take it five minutes after yeah. so that he would always get there five minutes before they did, which is like the only bit of like the first bit of real strategizing and, I think there was. And it also took was. like, I, you know, I know those guys like Robin Amor were kind of the villains of that season, but that's kind of why. Cause like, you know, we always say like an action movie to keep it about movies. I think I got this from you, like an action movie or that kind of movie is only as good as its villain. Right. And I think that's why that season of amazing race is always my favorite because I was rooting for them. <laughs> see, I, I, I didn't like them. And I think because I like Joyce and Uchenna so much, but, um, yeah, that's, because when we see other teams like this year, this year and a few uh, cycles ago, whatever you want to call it, um, do this group taking the penalty thing, yeah, they've all agreed at once, and then it's that race, yeah. But to agree to take the penalty, and then have like to have the guts to agree to take the penalty, not having convinced other people, mm-hmm. you know, and then convince them, that takes nerves of steel and brilliance. Yeah, and like the guy, yeah, the guy was yeah. brilliant. I and still nothing, didn't like and him, it's but. weird. Uh, I'm referencing, yeah, Boston Rob. He's not exactly, uh, like a beacon of charisma and yet he's <laughs> able to convince people yeah. to do ridiculous things. It's, it's crazy. And it's, you know, this is why I'm excited. Not that he's on, but this is what I'm, what I am excited about this fall is that, uh, you know, during the summer, if you enjoy CBS reality shows, uh, you are adrift uh-huh. in, a, in a sea of big brother. Oh, who wants that? No, uh, those no are, one. Those are rough seas. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, and of course this, uh, this season I've, I know somebody on survivor, so that's very exciting. You There's know a survivor. I know a survivor officially. Yeah. And, uh, he's getting virtually no screen time, which really? is unfortunate. So, gotta, gotta be more of a, an attention grabber. I know. Which I don't like. Well, and that's the thing. He's, he's performed on Broadway. I feel like he'd probably know how to grab people's attention. The bar's been raised pretty high on reality TV. I guess that's true. So anyway, it's the fall. The All the uh, big movies are coming. Um, it's funny, the, that, it's funny the, the way you and I say that. It's like, it's fall. All the big movies are coming. It, but that is for, what it, it, for 95% of the population, the big movies have passed. Right, yeah. Hunger Games and The Hobbit. That's what's coming. Right. Um, oh, you just reminded me. I have a... I'm going to have to see a Hobbit movie. 
and I'm going to have to see it twice because I saw the last two twice. I, I have to see this one twice. It is, right? we- it is weird, the sense of inevitability, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, I, I thought uh, Desolation of Smaug was all right. Uh, I enjoyed it more than the first well, one. Well, it was, I mean, if compared to the first one, sure. it was it was genius. But yeah. yeah, I still didn't think it was a very good movie. But yeah, it's way a big improvement. So maybe this third one, maybe it'll continue the upward trend. But the very fact that for a while, I believe, it, the, the little subtitle thing was going to be there and back again. For a which, long time. Yeah, for a long time. And it's like, oh, how nice. And then it's Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah. Every single one CG, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the the fact that it went from that like i can't think of a better way to sum up the whole hobbit debacle uh, <laughs> than that it was this nice quaint little thing and then it turned into this giant spectacle yeah. that they can get a lot of money from it could be good who knows uh but it's weird i'm gonna see it i'm gonna see it in the theater what choice yeah. do i have yeah as it turns out i have plenty but i'm gonna see it but yeah i'm actually i forgot about hunger games i'm super looking forward to yeah, that me too um because I have a little tradition of having a couple margaritas before the Hunger Games movies. All right. <laughs> it just has to do with the fact that they play at the Vista, which is across the street from ah. El Chavo. And so I have a couple margaritas before I go. At this point, I have I have determined that uh, if there are, is a movie... Now, of course, with screenings, you can't always guarantee this. But if there's a movie that I'm going to see that I'm like, I- I'm seeing this because I have to, my big thing is I'm going to get popcorn and a Coke. Because at least one of my senses is going to be happy. <laughs> so, because uh, Into the Storm didn't do it for me, and the popcorn and Coke was free. So I'll take it. Oh, man. I've, I have gotten, uh, I know people love to hear us talk about the particulars of going to screenings for free. But I haven't, I, I've gotten the bad luck of the draw when it comes to the screenings where you get free popcorn and soda. It's been a long time. It's only happened twice in the, like the three years we've been doing this. Uh, it used to happen to me more. I think I'm just going to the wrong screenings. I guess It's so. probably because I've, I've somewhat intentionally stopped going to more of the big releases. Yeah, uh, and I... I, I'm just, I just got a little burnt out. I have a feeling that when I go and uh, take the bullet and see Bra- uh, Dracula Untold next week... Which is playing at not a screening room, but like at a mainstream theater. Yeah. I'm betting that they will do something to quite literally sweeten the deal. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, but that's universal. The last two ones I went to for them didn't have that, but I liked both the movies. Or I liked Get On Up a lot. Okay. And um, I uh, did not regret having seen The Purge Anarchy. Those okay. are the last two universal releases I saw. Speaking of, though, going to screenings. Okay. Have you been to the Wilshire screening room since we saw the guest there? No. Are they doing it different? They changed the seats. They did? Those incredibly comfortable seats. What are they now? They're still quite comfortable, but they're not the same. And there are more of them. Oh, that's the because pr- that's a, it's a small room. People in. Yeah, it's a small room, and I understand it's it's everyone's favorite, probably because the seats were so fucking comfortable, and they're still pretty comfortable. And I think they also need to be broken in a little. You know, they're Maybe. not gliding quite as smoothly as they well, should. Well, thankfully, it's a screening room. Film critics come to see it. <laughs> Nobody breaks in a chair like a film critic. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was that was a uh, very heartbreaking man. to me. But then I went to see. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. I went to see a movie at the Charles Adikoff screening room just last night, and I was like, Adikoff, never change. 
That's the one with the little bowl of candy. Right? Uh, that's the one with the little bowl of candy. All right. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we, okay. should, we should move on. We should move on. And we should move on to one of our sponsors yes. who undoubtedly is not at all regretting giving us money. <laughs> so uh, it's like who, apparently all we have to do is send them a little bowl of candy and they'll do it for free. <laughs> so, okay. All right, everybody. Here's the deal. You only have a day or two left. To contribute to the I w- to uh, I was a teenage wear skunk. The uh, it's a Kickstarter situation. Uh, <laughs> that's oh they they added a subtitle. <laughs> it's a Kickstarter situation. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, the comic homage to the horror films of the 1950s. The story is about a teenage boy sprayed by an enchanted skunk. Now, whenever he is aroused, he turns into a horrible wear skunk. So, if you are interested in seeing their vision realized, just click on the ad at battleshippretension.com and contribute to their Kickstarter. Every little bit helps. So, when you hear this, again, you only have a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, Hurry over to their Kickstarter, or the best way to get there is to go to battleship, sorry, www.battleshippretension.com and click on the skyscraper ad on the right. That's what they're called. Yes. Uh, It's not a banner. Unless it's on the top. It's hard to say if it's a... It's it's hardly a skyscraper. It's like a... It's like a two-story, you know? Okay. It's a... What do you call that? In New York. Like a duplex? Like a... No. That's when when they're two things side by side. You're right. I don't know. Like a a two-story walk-up. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, definitely click on the ad on the right hand. Brownstone. That's what I was trying to say. It's a brownstone. Yes, that makes it sound much more classy. So click on the brownstone that says "Teenage Wear Skunk" on the right hand side of the of the page. There. Yeah, and do no. and do help them out if if it sounds good. Even five bucks, uh, because I, they have a sensibility that I like, and I, yeah. I like to see this kind of thing come come to fruition. Do we have more sponsors this week? We do. Okay, let's not let's hold off. Okay, uh, I, I don't want to. Um, I don't want don't want it to be a barrage. Um, okay, I want to talk about. I mentioned I saw a script went to a screening last night. Yeah, it was uh, for a movie called Whi- I'm sorry, Whiplash. Oh, nice. It's called it's called Whiplash, um, and uh, it's got a lot of great buzz, mm-hmm. right? And I uh, have to admit I was a little skeptical um, for a number of reasons. One, it's about jazz, which I like jazz, mm-hmm. but when people start talking about jazz, yeah, it tends to get under my skin a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's yeah. yeah, I mean I really I really love it. I wish I knew more about it, but then of course you run across the people that do know a lot about it and it's somewhere it often winds up being somewhere in between Paul F. Tompkins' bit about jazz and John Goodman <laughs> from Inside Lewin Davis. Uh-huh. So enjoy that. Yeah. Uh so it's about jazz and uh but you know what? That's it's not really about jazz. It's about art and it's about um what it takes to uh form an artist and uh it asks some very difficult questions about about art and what what art is worth how much uh are you willing to put up with i'm trying to be vague without giving away the movie but how much uh are you willing to put put up with Mm -hmm. in the name of art it's a really powerful movie but the other reason i was skeptical and the and ultimately the reason the movie as much as I really enjoyed it, is is not going to be seen making an appearance in my top ten this year. I'm sure. Um, is uh, its star Miles Teller? Okay. And I um, don't. I, I've held off. I think at least on the podcast. In my reviews, I'm. Uh, you can read my two night stand review from very recently. I'm open about my not ge- just generally not being a big fan of the guy, mm-hmm. but I've held off on the podcast. And I think partially because so many people like him, he's like the buzz, 
Yeah, he's the, he? the it guy right The it now. guy, yeah. He's going to be the in Fantastic Four. Which uh, one is he? Is he the thing? No, he's going to be the guy, like the Mr. Fantastic or whatever. Oh, is he? All right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He cuts a very different figure than Yon Griffith. Uh, I guess so, yeah. But at least his name is pronounced like it's spelled. <laughs> he's got that on Yon Griffith. <laughs> um, Miles tell you, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, exactly. Um, but... Uh, I, I, I guess you—you you, you are the one who said this might be a good top of the show thing. I—I I think one of the reasons Whiplash suffers, mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons is his foil, and J.K. Simmons is throwing himself into this role yeah. and being intensely unlikable at times, yeah. but also intensely charismatic. Mm-hmm. And I think Miles Teller, as an actor, uses his charisma, his natural charisma. Like I'm not arguing that he's a very charismatic performer. Okay uses his charisma as a bit of a crutch or maybe he's scared to go without it. And I think the movie would be stronger if Miles Teller were willing to make the lead, uh, Andrew, a little bit more unlikable. Do you think I that's think to, a, a young actor's problem? I, it might be. It might I be. think as you get older, you're more willing to shed that. Uh, and it's it's too bad. I think the movie, I think the movie suffers because I would have liked to have seen uh, Andrew be... Um, more of a reflection of of Terrence, the character that um, J.K. Simmons plays. Uh, but uh, what have you seen Miles Teller in? Did you see uh, Who's Spectacular Now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If I, call, I called it that on Twitter, and then our good friend Aaron Newworth said uh, that it was Look Who's Spectacular Now. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know if I've seen anything with Miles Teller in it. Okay, well, the spectacular. I now, might be wrong, by the way. I'm not. I'm not sure. The spectacular now is the exception to my whole thing because he's great in that, you know. But I also think. But is it maybe, maybe that, that character the is just works better? For I, I think that character is just the perfect character for him to play, and he's fantastic. But uh, Two Night Stand, um, Twenty One and Over. Uh, probably some other stuff that I'm uh, missing. I, I just don't. Uh, he just doesn't connect with me. I don't. Uh, he's he's not. He he's seems unwilling to. Again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but he seems unwilling to commit beyond being charming or being being as I. Um, he's. Uh, I'm trying to remember how I worded it. My two night stand review because he has this Vince Vaughn patter to the way he talks. And really I, interesting. Uh, like young Vince Vaughn, like like Trent from Swingers, Vince Vaughn. But the thing about Trent, the thing about Vince Vaughn's performance in Swingers, which is a great, great movie, is that uh, Trent is dangerous and unlikable and sad at times, you know, and that's all under his performance of being the charming guy. Yeah, that's the thing that and, Vince Vaughn could really bring to a, a, a role is there's a there's a kinetic quality to him as a performer that you always. You just, you're never quite at ease. He's fun, but you always feel like, ah, something, I don't know, this could go wrong somehow. Yeah. Um, whereas, having now, I, I looked at his filmography, I've never seen okay. Miles, Teller, Miles Teller in anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so. Um, well, then I guess, yeah, uh, this conversation will be short-lived because you don't have anything. Well, it's to just, do. yeah, it, it, it's going to be mostly questions on my part. So. What's interesting is because I've I've seen the the trailer for, um, oh Divergent. I also saw him in that. 
Oh, I didn't know. You, uh, that's right. You saw it. Okay. Uh, I've not seen. That awkward moment. I saw that. I've not seen I've Whiplash. S- I've seen a ton of stuff with this guy. Whiplash. Yeah. Um, but I did see the trailer. And is it is the character like soup? Is he meant to be super charismatic? Let me let's let's try this. And I don't know if this is easy for you to do. I'm not sure. Um, are you able to see past the performance and just see the writing and see what the character could be? Is I think that's what I was thinking. Character I was be? thinking about you talked off mic about like ideas or, or things coming to you in the shower. Mm. And I saw the movie last night and I really I, again, it's a B plus. I really, really like the movie. OK. And it's also my hats off to the editor because the movie is an hour and 45 minutes long. It feels like it's about 45 minutes long. Nice. It shoots by. Like I couldn't believe it when it was over. So uh, that's always a good sign. But something wasn't sitting right with me last night and in the shower this morning that's what you're saying is exactly what happened that i started to see oh here's what i think the character could have been and the best thing i could come up with was jesse eisenberg and the social network okay if the character had been a little more like that performance okay because um you know he's jesse you know jesse eisenberg in that movie is he's doing the aaron sorkin thing and he's got that he's very intelligent and there's something sort of irresistible about about that force of nature in him but he's also jesse eisenberg is not steering away from the unlikable parts of mark zuckerberg right. uh and I, I i guess i th- and i think that i feel like that's on the page and i'm sure damien chazelle the writer director would uh could very easily have something else to say about that might disagree with me completely but i feel like there's more darkness to the character or more uh bitterness or selfishness to the character yeah um than um miles teller was willing to play i feel like you i feel like even when he sees it there as as a performer i feel like he's immediately asking the audience to forgive him for it because i think Mm. he's afraid of being unlikable but I'm. I could be projecting all that. But I mean, isn't that kind of our job as critics? Yeah, I. Th- I mean, obviously. If, and if the par- if the performance didn't work for you, and if you feel like that there are things within that character that are left unexplored, and when you happen to notice that all the things that are unexplored happen to be negative, <laughs> that's when again, haven't seen the film, haven't seen anything with Miles Teller. I have no idea. But that is something that I. I feel like you do see from time to time, especially from younger actors. Is. Uh, it's not even so much a lack of commitment, but I guess I guess you can sum it up that way. But that seems almost uh, harsh. I don't even know if they mean to do it, but there's a natural instinct when you are young to not to want to hide certain things about yourself mm-hmm. that people will not like. And certainly, if you if you're coming up and you're becoming and you're the it guy and you're very popular, and it's like, oh, I don't want to seem like this you know it's it's the opposite it's one of the reasons why you and i and amy nicholson admire tom cruise so much Uh is early on it's like oh this is the guy from top gun but then he will be the unlikable guy in rain man in color of money and that sort of thing and his willingness to do that and and at the very least recognize when he's playing even when he's playing good guys that they're not always going to be good and that there are moments where it's like it's like that idea of somebody winking at the camera Mm-hmm. As if to say, okay, folks, I'm not really like this, and that's the equivalent of you saying, like, even when his mo- when he's having bad moments, uh, when the character is, is like doing bad things, um, in the reading, he's saying, look, even uh, I, the character knows this is bad, so you you <laughs> still like him, and I remember, uh, you know, back in my acting days, every once in a while, I would play a villain, um, 
And I remember, and while I certainly believe that everybody has their own reasons for doing things, even the worst things, uh, in their mind, they probably know it's bad, but they are able to justify it in some way, even if it's literally, this is what I want and why should I deny myself? Um, but I remember early on feeling like, oh, but the only way to humanize this character is to show maybe a flash of regret or something like that. But if it's not there, it's not there. And so Mm -hmm. that was me maybe trying to, you know, maybe make the character, create more depth in the character, but also trying to assure the audience that, no, 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 it's, I'm with you folks. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. I'll try and go into, when I watch the movie, which uh, you will, this will be the one you see. The, if there's only one movie to see, no, I mean this David will be the Miles, this will be the Miles Teller film that gets you into the theater. Yeah, I guess so. Apparently. Okay, well let me. See. You should see the spectacular now. It's uh, full of great performances. It has a really stupid, like sort of framing device thing that I hate. That's like it's framed by him like writing a college application essay at the beginning Ugh. and end, and I hate it, and I don't think it is important at all. That's it, like the it's like it the ended uh, on a really sour note because when I was like, oh right, this fucking thing, and then he signed at the Breakfast Club, yeah, which is exactly. weird. Exactly. Um, uh, so I think you like it. So when you go into it, yeah, you give it. But I'll say this before we move on to the main topic and uh, for our other advertisers. Another performance in the film. Okay. Someone. So here's I'm uh, talking about Miles Teller, someone I haven't been a fan of, but between the FX series Married and this, uh, I was a fan of Paul Reiser before as a comedian. As an actor, I'm really starting to realize this guy knows his shit. And I'll tell you why. Again, I was so excited at the casting of him, uh-huh. like because I saw the trailer and I saw that he was briefly uh, that he that he's briefly in it, and just um, immediately I just saw like oh a guy who wants to protect his son but is kind of impotent to do so. Like oh my gosh, how horrifying. Well, here's. Here's the thing. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna spoil how this actually happens. But if you're super sensitive, jump forward. Uh, but okay. So you know, like the cliched scene in a movie like this where the parent doesn't understand his son's artistic drive. You know, mm-hmm. and then at one point sees him perform, and he's like, "Oh, I get it." Yeah. You know that cheesy moment. Whiplash doesn't do that exactly. Okay. But the version of that they do. Compared to Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons talking and yelling at each other mm-hmm. for the whole movie, what Paul Reiser does completely wordlessly in that moment literally brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and so uh, I want to end on a positive note on this <laughs> conversation. I might not be a fan of Miles Teller, but Paul Reiser, holy shit, that guy continues to surprise me. That's great. Yeah, I was very excited. Uh, there are a lot of reasons I was excited for that film, but... I did remember at the time, and we actually, off mic, when we were talking a little bit about Whiplash, I was going to ask you, how is Paul Reiser? Because I was, I was excited to see him in it. All right. So, uh, who's our next sponsor? All right. Our next sponsor is the Double Feature Podcast, this week discussing Manhattan and Do the Right Thing. So, it's a New York episode, David. Yeah. Uh, it's a hell of a town, I've heard. I've That's never actually been there. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. I've been there. There's a lot of places I haven't been. It's very frustrating. It's and nice. then the places I have yeah, been. There's a lot like of places this, you have been, though. Yeah, You've been but, to Columbia. I've never been to Columbia. It's not that great. I just, I bet I would have. There's just piles of cocaine on the side of the road. <laughs> I really want to go to Columbia. <laughs> yeah. You can tell, by the way, Columbia in many ways was, was wonderful. I really loved it. But you can tell um, what, the, what the country used to be and maybe what it still is by how much they protest that they're not that. <laughs> and so they're always very quick to say, uh, like on tours and stuff, they're always quick to say, 
you know, the Colombia that you might have heard about, you know, uh, right. with drug lords and kidnappings, that's a thing of the past. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, if, no, if nobody knew about it, they sure know about it now. And they're like, oh, I think you doth protest too much, Colombia. You um, know, the opposite of that. What's that? Um, I was in Las Vegas recently and I spent uh, more time because I was there for two days. I spent more time watching local TV on the uh, hotel mm. in the hotel than usual. And you know who doesn't want to distance themselves from their violent criminal past? Las Vegas. Oh, sure. They embrace that shit with every commercial. There is one commercial for a local Italian eatery, right? Mm-hmm. Where the the stereotypical Italian-like mob guy yeah. is like, I don't like to repeat myself. I'm not going to lose my temper. My associate here might. But I need to know. What's it going to be? And the guy's like sweating, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, and then he goes, I'll have the fettuccine Alfredo. And they all go, oh! And then he goes <laughs> like, you know, whatever the Italian restaurant is, Old Vegas. <laughs> and like every other commercial has some sort of like reference to that sort of thing. <laughs> Vegas is so desperate to be something else like anywhere else like oh we've got uh, pyramids and look this is like chicago and that kind of thing and i know that's still old vegas right. but it's still like i you know, while i was in las vegas i had uh, had dinner beneath the eiffel tower there exactly yeah. it's i don't know it was it's, great and you know what i ordered what's that steak up off and do you know why because i don't of, even know what it is well because of f for fake oh okay because of the part that uh tom sharpling used to laugh at on the best show that orson wells in a documentary that he directed, chose to left in, leave in a scene of him asking for a second order of steak au poiv <laughs> at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's like for a guy who is uh, sensitive to the uh, fat jokes, so, you know, <laughs> kind of leaned in on that one. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> so I got steak au poiv in honor of Orson Welles. Yeah, I think, I guess the thing that gets me about Las Vegas, it reminds me of that kid in high school who doesn't really know what his identity will be, so he tries a new one every week. <laughs> right. Because um, I've been through Vegas, and I've been, and I've visited there for like a week, and uh, ugh, A week? Yeah. What do you do for a week? Well, when you were the age I was, you go to a lot of uh, nickel arcades and lose a bunch of nickels, uh, because they <laughs> decided to incorporate the gambling element into it, apparently. Okay, huh. moving on, I'm sorry. Uh <clears throat> This episode is sponsored by the Double Feature Podcast, this week discussing Manhattan and Do the Right Thing. In this episode, they discuss an old BP standby, David, separating the art from the artist. Oh, yeah. Is Spike Lee a racist, or is it just his Twitter feed? I don't follow him on Twitter, so I'm fa- I didn't even know that was a question. Yeah, I wasn't aware of this. Uh, this question and many more will be answered this week on Double Feature. To listen, just go to doublefeatureshow.com or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. The brownstone ad, as we like to call it. Yes, the brownstone ad. So, All right. All right, and then we've got one more, which we'll put uh, do a little later. Okay, well, I want to talk to you real quick, uh, both you, Tyler, and you, the listener, about tweakedaudio.com. Okay. Which is uh, spelled T-W-E-A-K-E-D audio.com. It's like teak but with a W. Um, Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. And these styles are very stylish. And these yeah. colors are very colorful. I, my yellow ones that I listen to at work, they, they really pop. Mm-hmm. Um, Not uh, the audio. I, the audio doesn't pop. No, no. They yeah. just... I see them on my desk. I had a coworker once, you know him, mm-hmm. um, who one time was absent-mindedly eating some cashews while working and picked up his earbud and put it in his mouth because <laughs> it was next to the cashews. That wouldn't happen to me. It wouldn't of have happened not. to him yeah. if you're using tweaked audio things. Cause, cause, <laughs> tweaked audio things. <laughs> tweaked audio earbuds because these things 
are so distinct, mm-hmm. you're never going to mistake them for cashews. That it's really like sa- should be on the front page. You will yeah. never mistake these for cashews. Uh, so these are awesome. They're already affordable to begin with. They sound great. But if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get them for one third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. We meant to talk about this last week, but... And the week before. And the week before. Yes, that's right. Uh, but It was going to be the thing we followed up our comedies discussion with. Right, but other pressing issues kept getting in the way. Yes. Such as diversity in casting and the Talking with digital that. and economic landscape of film distribution and consumerism in the modern age. Is that what yeah. we're talking about with Eric? Yeah, that was a hell of a class yeah. that we took back in school. <laughs> um but no, this week we're going to talk about some of the comedies. I'd say most of them, or most of the things we're talking about today are probably going to be comedies that didn't make our top 50 list. Um, there might be some on there. Some, but not many. You're right. But uh, I think inspired specifically by the fact that The Apartment did make our list. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how sad that movie is. Yeah. And it's still a comedy. That's uh, uh, can't be debated. We had a, uh, did you see the comment on the website? Uh, back under the, the, the uh, it was it was Fargo and the Royal Tenenbaums. This guy was saying that right. they b- both Fargo and the Royal Tenenbaums have too much either sad or violent or disturbing or upsetting stuff to be considered comedies. Uh, I I disagreed, but it was an interesting. I might be inclined to agree about the apartment. Um, you do, because... you don't think of the apartment as a comedy? I think it is. There are moments of humor. Don't get me wrong. Of of genuine humor. Uh, but I do think of it primarily as as a drama with comedy in it. That's funny because I think of it as a comedy first. Royal um, Tenenbaums, however, I feel like you can't look at some of those characters and character designs and say that that's anything but a comedy with, you can't some, watch, with some drama in it. Yeah, you can't watch Danny Glover fall into uh, a ditch with an electric blue suit on and not, <laughs> exactly. not laugh. Exactly. Um, is it the same suit from Punch Drunk Love? The suit that Danny Glover wears in Royal Tenenbaums is essentially the same suit that Adam Sandler wears in Punch Drunk Love, right? I have to assume so. That <laughs> there's this blue suit that's just been making the rounds in Hollywood in the early 2000s. All right. So, so. Um, no, we're going to talk about depressing comedies. Yeah. Um, and that's a good uh, – and I'm glad we started with The Apartment. I'm not sure if there's anything more to say about it. But Well, I haven't seen it in a while. The last time I saw it was an outdoor screening in Chicago, so it's been over seven years at this point. Uh, when's the last time you saw it? Um Probably, I mean, I was still living in Chicago, so it's probably been more like 10 years. Okay, so here's what I think. Here's one of the reasons why I have a hard time thinking of it as a comedy is that there is humor in it, but it almost seems like the characters themselves are trying to provide comedy in their own lives to keep from crying as opposed to comedy just naturally coming out of a situation. It's like, which is, of course, why Jack Lemmon is perfect Mm -hmm. for that character because you know when we think of jack lemon we think of i i probably first think of glengarry glenn ross then i think of save the tiger then i think of the apartment um but in in all cases uh there's this you know almost this feels wrong to say almost a giggly type quality to him uh as a guy who Mm -hmm. will laugh as a way of easing tension but of course his laugh actually only serves to elevate the tension and so and it feels like jokes that are made that they might be funny, but when the characters themselves are trying to make each other laugh because things are so bad, it feels like even if I'm laughing, it's a nervous type of laughter. It's a tense type of laughter. And that's how I think of that film. But that's and that's but that might just be me. I know, again, clearly enough, people consider it a comedy for it to 
place relatively high on the list. I don't remember the exact number. Um, I feel like there should be a formula maybe for deciding whether or not something's a comedy, comedy, mm-hmm. which is like how many, how many laughs per minute on average hmm. are there or, in, you know, intentional laughs because yeah. I still feel, uh, you know, I'll, I'll jump in right into the, one of the first ones I thought of when I thought of, um, depressing comedies mm-hmm. is a much more recent film and, um, the best film that Jason Reitman has directed so far, Young Adult. Okay. Which uh, I still have not seen. You gotta see it. You'd love it. It's fantastic. And um, you told me, what was it? It's not like it was a bachelorette party, but there was a bunch of women there that decided. I, I wrote, I wrote this, the backstory for them in my mind that okay. they were, uh, like moms who don't get out of the house very often. This was their, this was their girls night out. Yeah. And they were going to see a comedy. And it didn't matter what the fuck was happening on screen. Mm-hmm. It was a laugh riot because, God damn it, they don't get enough, this often enough. And so they were... That's one of the saddest backstories <laughs> I've ever heard, by the way. I, I think I probably had some uh, vindictiveness in it because they were annoying me during the movie. Because yeah. they were like, uh, you know, Patton Oswalt's character in that movie is... It's very sad what his life has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, they were laughing at him. Not, I don't think because they were mean people who didn't get it. I think, I think it was that just like, uh, they came into the mindset that we're seeing a comedy and they were laughing Hmm. and just wouldn't break through. But, uh, which actually brings up another subject for, I think another day maybe, which is the importance of context and just maybe even just expectations that you bring into a film. Like if nobody had told, if the, if young adult was not at all put out there as a comedy, if it was put out as a hard bitten right. drama, and then people would walk in and be like, "That was actually funnier than I thought it would be," but boy, it was rough. You See, know? I think that would be, I think that would hurt them more. Okay. I think um, if um, if people go in seeing thinking they're seeing, uh, as you say, hard bitten drama about like alcoholism or, mm-hmm. you know, cause she is clearly an alcoholic in the movie. Okay. Um, if it's sold as that, and then there are laughs in every scene that might anger more people because yeah. it seems, it would seem then disrespectful. Whereas the other way around is maybe, I think a bit more palatable, I guess. Um, and people who don't choose to focus on the sadness of it don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to get back to my point, I still think, I mean, I haven't seen it since it was in the theater, but I still think in every, in every scene in young adult, there are jokes. Yeah. Uh, and that it seems to be, that was an agreement on the, the writer had with him or herself, mm-hmm. herself. It was Diablo Cody. <laughs> I know yeah, yeah. it was, um, that we're not getting out of the scene without making a joke, okay. uh, or, or more than one joke, you know? And it would be, it, it they're often very sad, but uh, I still think that's what makes it uh, a comedy. Okay. In that the the jokes aren't sweetening the drama. The jokes are the backbone mm-hmm. that uh, the, the, the character studies and the other explora- explorations hang off of. Okay, so this actually brings me into something, because as I made my list, and I have no intention of going through this entire list, because it's not... Mine's very short. Okay, because this, yeah, this is not, these are not particularly important as, or at least as important as the overall thing that I wanted to, to talk about, which is, and then we can talk about specific titles in a moment, but, um, I was trying to think, 
about, okay, so we're talking about depressing comedies. And there's something about, why is it that to me, and of course you can't speak for me, but I'll, I'll throw this out there to you and maybe All the right. audience in general. Here we go. To me, a depressing comedy is somehow more depressing than a depressing drama. And I'm not 100% sure why. I was looking at my list, and I'll throw out a couple of titles. I'll throw out Brazil. I'll throw out Very Bad Things. Uh, Sideways. Sideways is on my list, too. The Player. Oh, that's uh, I should put that on there. The King of Comedy. And even the, even the Meaning of Life. Okay. Yeah, Meaning of Life those, does get depressing. Those are just a few that I'm throwing out there. Uh, there are others that I'll talk about in a moment, but like those are a few, a few that I that I'm throwing out there that are I think they are definitely comedies. You know, Brazil obviously there's a sci-fi element as well, but th- that that certainly passes your test of every scene because I re- recently rewatched it. Every scene's got mm-hmm. genuine humor in it, and yet somehow the me laughing at this only serves like there's no relief. There's no joy. All the things that we usually associate with laughter is completely absent as I watch these films. I'm still laughing, still funny, still a comedy, but somehow it only makes me more and more sad and depressed. Why do you think that is, either speaking now, okay. to me or generally? Off the top of my head, I, yeah, I don't know why for you particularly. Off the top of my head, and I'm sure you could poke a million holes in either of these or any of these things I'm about to say. I think um, having humor around depressing things makes it feel less safe and less controlled mm-hmm. you know whereas if you're watching uh Mikhail Haneke's Amor yeah like that's a very sad it's a great movie it's a very sad movie but it's also you kind of feel like you're in this sad movie cocoon and maybe like it can still be hard to work through but it feels maybe a little more cathartic whereas okay yes Whereas when you're in a sad movie and funny things are happening all the time, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel contained and it doesn't feel like you understand the boundaries of it and so it's a little more uncomfortable and unsettling. So it's like it's comfort finding comfort in consistency, which is okay, I'm in a sa- this is a sad situation and everybody's crying, including me. That's what you do in a sad situation. Yeah, and you recognize it. <clears throat> yeah. Or that's no, I, but here's the thing. I don't think that's really what you do. In a sad situation. I think the other reason that these comedies uh, are more depressing, because in many ways they're more like life. Um, I mean, sometimes the humor is a little heightened, Mm -hmm. um, and certainly in something like (laughs) The Meaning of Life it is, but uh, in in Brazil. But um, uh, I think in, in real life we're usually, most of us are trying to enjoy ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know? And so... Uh, when you're at a at a wake, it isn't like a wake isn't usually people, you know, uh, just being morose mm-hmm. and staring pensively out the window. You know, the way you can get we'll get away with a few scenes of that in a movie. In a real life, when you're in a wake, there's you know people are in you know they're wearing clothes that are uncomfortable in that they have only only wear once or twice a year when someone dies or something else happens. Um, You're, you know, eating tacky food and you're trying to make the best of the situation. Mm -hmm. You're trying to remember some things about the person who died or you're just, or or, or you're just changing the subject to, you know, because you can't just sit there and just talk about the fact that this person died. You can talk about what movies have you seen or how 
did the uh, local sports organization do this past past weekend? Um, that is me talking uh, sports. Uh, so I, I think the uh, I, I I think the reason I, I wonder if maybe the question isn't why do I feel more depressed by sad comedies, mm-hmm. but it's why do I feel less depressed by the non-sad comedies? Because those are the ones that are more different mm-hmm. because they're more heightened and they focus just on the sadness, you know, yeah. like in, in the bedroom is another, sure. one, you know, another great movie, but there's a certain, uh, it's, you know, it's like you're, uh, filtering the sunlight through a magnifying glass and you're focusing in and like yeah. for this hundred minutes, we're just going to be sad. And then, it, uh, and, and that feels more controlled. And, uh, again, it feels cathartic. Okay. So I, I'll I'll say this word, which sounds almost negative, uh, but I can't think of another one. Um, uh, wallowing. Mm-hmm. Would you say that like a drama? Let's stick within the bedroom, which is a, yes, a wonderful film, but certainly it wallows in the grief of these people, mm-hmm. uh, and it really f- and so there's a cathartic element because you're just like, all right, everything that I am feeling, the film is allowing me to feel, as opposed to a comedy. Which, just as you're starting to feel this certain way, it hits you with this laugh, and suddenly it's like, I, no, I wanted this other kind of release that is di- that is, um, but n- again, a laugh, but not a comic relief type of laugh, um, a different a different kind of thing than that. Um, I don't know. It's uh, I'm I, I'm having a hard time summing it up. It maybe just summing it up for myself. Uh, and so let, let me uh, take a look at some of the movies that I just that I just listed. Okay, number one, by the way, on my list was very bad things, uh, which is I don't know if you enjoy that movie or if I, you like that movie. I used to watch it. I used to like it a lot when I was okay. in high school in the beginning of college. I honestly I haven't seen it in a few years. Although mm-hmm. I did watch um, a clip. I don't know if you ever read the AV Club, mm-hmm. uh, which I read religiously all the time. Yeah. Um, but they did an interview with Daniel Stern and they posted the YouTube of the clip where they're at the gas station and he's the kids just want to get some wizards yeah. and he's like freaking out because he thinks everyone knows. And it's the, it's an incredibly tense and paranoid and uncomfortable scene. Yeah. And it, so but I think funny. it's also funny. Okay, yeah. That's the thing. I think I went through a period. I watched it all the time, got away from it for a few years and started to think, I'll bet that's not as good as I remembered. And then watched that clip and I was like, there might be something to this movie. Yeah. So I need to watch it again is what I'm saying. And I wonder maybe if it's this idea that like, obviously that character, I mean, most of what comedy is, is something inherently funny. But certainly if the characters are in on the joke, it's not funny. Mm-hmm. You know, so his character certainly in that moment is not laughing. Um, We are. And maybe maybe there's a certain degree for myself, maybe there's a certain degree of paranoia in that fact. The idea that, yes, nobody's – I recognize that an audience is not watching me uh, all the time. Uh, but this idea that, like, I could be in the midst of a horrible situation yeah. that I hate and the fact that someone out there might laugh at this. Yeah. Someone might think this is the funniest damn thing in the world. And it's just like, oh, jeez. And this, and this, and right. maybe and it's funny that the guy who wants the guy he thinks might be like an undercover cop, but mm-hmm. just wants to ask him about his minivan, mm-hmm. looks like an undercover cop from the seventies. <laughs> <70s. laughs> it is very funny. 
Um, By the way, 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it was not a beloved film. Uh, I think, and by the way, I've seen it, I think, twice, and both times I laugh. And then afterwards, I was just like, oh, jeez, I need a nap. Because especially the way that film ends. And maybe the nature, you know, I keep talking about the nature of comedy, but like, you know, a good part of comedy, in fact, one could say the best comedies are the kind that point out the absurdity of things. Um, things that maybe we don't think about, mm-hmm. or at least we just sort of accept. Give me one example. <laughs> well, David, have, did you ever notice? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but just, and or maybe either we don't find the absurdity in it, or we all acknowledge it and just live with it. But then one person saying, uh, "Hey, wait a second, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on," mm-hmm. and suddenly it's like, "Oh, hang on, don't don't go fucking with the system here." <laughs> yeah. All right, we all were going along just fine. And so, um, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's that, uh, this, once I, like, I thought this was going to be an easy, an easy topic, but the more, why would it make things easy on ourselves? Heaven forbid. Uh, the moment I started thinking about it, the moment I was like, yeah, why do these, why do I find meaning of life depressing? I do. I I laugh. I think it's hilarious. It's the film that I submitted. I felt like I should include a a Monty Python, and Mm -hmm. that was the one I submitted for the top 50. So I think it's great. I I love it in a lot of ways. Um, And yet somehow... There's no no content. There's no doubt. It's clearly a depressing movie. I totally agree with you. The Meaning of Life is a very depressing movie uh, because I think a lot of it is about death, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of it is about people... uh, just frittering away the time they have. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, the, uh, it's specifically, I mean, the death part at the end, uh, when you've got those people in the country home who just yeah. could not be more pompous and pointless and useless yeah. members of society, just nattering on, even as they're being led to, <laughs> to the great beyond. Yeah. Uh, and they is, get in there. Apparently they're, cars who have who also have spirits and then their spirit (laughs) cars drive them away yeah and it's it's it is very cynical Mm -hmm. in that in that way you know and you've got the waiter who leads you on that long walk yeah yeah uh, which is very funny but also very sad that this guy this thing that means so much to him everything about his life and his history and his childhood means so much to him and it's like why do we give a fuck? And then he gets angry at us for not giving a fuck. Yeah. Uh, So I think, yeah, there's a lot about meaning of life and it's also a very bloody movie. That's true. Um, So I I think, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on meaning of life because I love that movie so much. But uh, I think so much of it is about uh, how we choose to spend our lives and what's important to us and also how quickly life can end and it's mm-hmm. not but it's not like even and that's the thing it's even not mr even, creosote like even that sketch it yeah. ends like he's just indulging himself constantly throwing up so that he can eat more yeah uh and then in the end it's a wafer thin yeah. mint that yeah. gets him uh and then he's presented with the bill yeah and so i but but, but it doesn't get the message across in a treacly sort of you got to live every day like you're dying man <laughs> yeah no not at all but it's uh, yeah, it's a the scene. The the film is preoccupied with the idea that you can die at any time, and toward the I, end at least. And this, the, perhaps, this notion of like, hey, you got to live every day like like you're dying. You got to make the most of it. And the, you know, maybe a lot of these films they point out the silliness even of that. Like, 
there's a certain, I think there's a certain, in maybe some of my favorite comedies, uh, and in an anarchic quality, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, who gives a shit if you live every day like you're dying, or if you live like, here's another film on my, on my list, you live like Raul Duke in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, who cares? You're going to die either way. Uh-huh. You're still going to wind up in heaven where it's Christmas watching Jaws 1 and 2 and 3. <laughs> like, you're still going to wind up there, so what does it matter? Like, there's a real, there's a, you know, in in pointing out the absurdity of life, uh, I think a lot of comedies help us to realize how absurd life itself is like even the stuff that we strive for even if it's good things even we if we strive to like help the poor perhaps we're doing that not necessarily to help other people but to make ourselves feel good like maybe there's an inherent selfishness even in that um and i think you know for the same reason that you and i really champion the idea of comedy uh we often talk about stand-up but comedy in general is it's the thing that is meant to poke holes Mm -hmm. in everything uh, the thing we take most seriously, whether it be religion, whether it be politics, whether it be, you know, love, and then ultimately the idea of life itself being precious, comedy pokes holes in it. And maybe the most, yeah. for and me, go- the most depressing ones are the ones that really take aim at the stuff that I value the most. Yes, because unlike, we talk about comedy as a genre, mm-hmm. but other genres like horror or mystery or action or whatever have recognizable uh, plot structures or or tropes that um, can. I'm not saying that they're lesser because of that. Right. Uh, I uh, you can do a, a great deal with it. I mean, for instance, see what Simon Barrett and uh, Adam Wingard have done in their two the last two films. Um, but in that sense, comedy isn't a genre. Comedy is just whatever makes you laugh the most. Right. Or what it's whatever the person who's making it wants it to be, and so comedy, unlike other quote unquote genres, feels. I'll go back to a word I said earlier: unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I think that's why it maybe works for uh, sadness delivery method, and why and why it works so well in horror. I remember, you know, in Jaws, um, watching. I think the making of it. Uh, there is a bit where they're on the boat, and Brody says. He says, I can get a bigger boat. I he bo- says that. I, I don't think that's him. I think that might be the mayor. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, he, he says what to... What if you were like, no, that's in... Uh, what's the killer whale movie? What's the, that's an orca. Orca, the killer whale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> All this... It's... Yeah. A very morose Richard Harris says, <laughs> we're going to need a bigger boat. It's like the play it again, Sam. Like everyone's been misattributing it. <laughs> Like, you know, he never actually says we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. You're thinking of Orca. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're thinking of Alligator. Robert Forster says it in Alligator. They take a boat down to the sewer. Um, anyway, did so, you see uh, Alligator? I've never uh, seen I it. did not. I hear it's actually really good, precisely oh. because it's so funny. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a scene where Brody, uh, Quint has been saying, uh, slow ahead. He's been giving orders and stuff. And then Brody is just, he's chumming you know this dis- disgusting stuff out and so he says he goes i can go slow ahead why don't you come down here and chum some of this shit and it's put and just his attitude is funny it's yeah. funny in that moment and of course that's the exact moment when uh the shark head pops out and jaws. It's the first jaws as we all know him <laughs> uh it's the first time we see him in any kind of real way right and so 
And I remember, I think it was it was either uh, Carl Gottlieb or it might have been Spielberg. I don't remember, but they said that they liked the idea of revealing the real terror that we've been dealing with right after a laugh line Mm -hmm. because it showed because laughter is used to like in this case diffuse a situation that should not be diffused right um which i think so yeah it can be used very much as a tool and i think that's why it works so well in horror um that's a good point because i don't know it's it's a wonder it can be a wonderful misdirect um okay well we've talked about a lot of the ones on my list actually Um, okay because uh, we talked about Sideways and we talked about Jaws, obviously. Uh, Jaws is not on my list. Uh, I want to talk about another movie that does the opposite. We're talking about these movies where we're saying, is this still a comedy? Like The Apartment. Is mm. it too sad? Is Young Adult too sad? Is Sideways too sad to be a comedy? Right. I want to go the other side. I talk about a movie that is undoubtedly a comedy and whose sadness is the part that is more hidden. Okay. And that's Groundhog Day, which oh, also okay. made our list. Yeah. Um, Number two. Uh, yes, which is an incredibly sad movie, yeah. if you think about it, in a lot of ways. Because um, it's uh, not it, – it's a movie that doesn't let, let its protagonist off its off the hook yeah. um, for, you know, 10,000 days or however long this actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is uh, – Harold Amos used to say how long it was. I don't remember. It's an insanely long time yeah. that he kept living the same day. We saw barely any of it. Yeah. Um, but do you do you agree with me? That this is a sad comedy. Uh, I th- hmm. Hang on now, because it ends in a happy way. But I you think have to- I think there's a I think conceptually it's more sad than the actual tone. But there is definitely uh, some sadness there and some. But I get. But how many comedies this? featured that many suicide attempts? <laughs> I mean, like. I, I, I'm saying that as part of like yeah. in a way that's supposed to be funny, but honestly, like mm-hmm. that's a big part of the movie that he keeps trying to kill himself. Like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty dark. Let me ask you this: I guess that's dark, but for some reason that never struck me as as sad. I mean, the idea of him trying to save the old man's life and it's right. just never going to happen because today is the day he dies right because today is the day you know right now as you and i are talking somebody is dying yeah and listener right now that you're as you're listening to this somebody is dying like that's a rough realization Mm -hmm. um you know you and i have both lost people and so to think that the things that we felt are currently about they're about to be felt by families of the people that are dying right now and we don't even know about it that's a very that's a that's a rough thing uh but but I think, um, but the suicides, oddly enough, never, never bothered me. They're, they're dark. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But they never struck me as depressing. Um, but let me ask you this. Well, that's, I guess that's what I'm saying is that it's, it's a stealth depressing movie. Yeah. But, it, but I think the reason that you gave for it being depressing is something that somebody, maybe even me, I don't know yet. I haven't, fu- I haven't fully thought it out. Somebody would find it vaguely comforting. Phil Connors is as is an asshole who thinks only of himself. One could make the argument he does not deserve his day to progress. He doesn't deserve tomorrow. And so and only when he decides to value the same thing that everybody else, that every decent person in the world <laughs> values, only when de- when he decides to become the rest of us is he allowed to progress. So that's a it's of course it's a happy ending, but it's built on a premise that all of us agree with, which is there's a way to behave in order to be considered a good person. He does not behave that way. So there's 
I, I feel like a lot of people, again, maybe even me, but I ha- I'm only now thinking of this, so I'm not sure. Um, there's a certain comfort in the inherent justice of Groundhog Day. And no, and justice can be sad. It can be a bummer, but I don't think there's I think some, that, anything I mean, that's inherently. A bit, that's a bit depressing. superior of you. I think you're supposed to empathize with Phil. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But you're like, uh, I feel like you're empathizing with the people that he's mean to, which you should. Oh, sure, yeah. There's but, a reason that we're watching, and maybe this. Oh, jeez. But you're Hang like on. you're like the guy who watches the star high school football player blow out his knee mm-hmm. and lose any like hope of a career. And is satisfied by that because the guy threw you into a locker a few times. Yeah, I saw Friday Night Lights. I thought it was a feel-good movie <laughs> of the year. Um, no, it's. I guess it's not so much that. It's It's more just this idea of, um, you, you and I have talked about that. I don't know if we've ever actually talked about this on the show, but it's something you and I have talked about before, which is literally like, conceptually, and I just thought of this, which is okay. exciting. What if everybody has this? In the world of Groundhog Day, what if everybody had that day? You know what I mean? What if Andy McDowell had that day? What if Chris Elliott had that day? Brian Doyle Murray. They all had the day that was repeated over and over, and they decided, and and their life only continued when they decided to be good people. But we're only watching this guy's day right now. But you'd think everyone would know about it. like. Oh, sure. Absolutely. If that yeah. really happened, like someone yeah. someone would talk. Yeah. And that's the thing. And the reason, perhaps the reason I'm singling this guy out is because the film has singled this guy out. That's, that's you know. For example, he's going to continue, and, he, and even though he's not going to say, he's not going to tell anybody what has happened to him. But he still knows. And so, in a way, he himself is a bit superior. So I apologize for taking a superior tone. I'm singling, I'm focusing on him because it's his story. And the reason this is happening to him and not to anybody else that we're aware of, the reason nobody else remembers is because he's the one that needs to learn. So that's from a, from an arc standpoint, that's why I'm focusing on that. Like he's the one that is considered the asshole. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're watching the film we're watching. So I apologize if it comes uh, superior. Obviously I don't think <laughs> I'm a super great guy or anything. And, but I don't know. That's we want to believe that I, I feel like we want to believe that there are consequences to actions. And in this case, it's a very strange consequence that he's an asshole. Yeah, but I still think I don't know. Maybe I, I tend to think more about the times that I'm an asshole and not think about the people who are mean to me. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's why I think that's now I, I have a hard time wrong. accepting anybody else's forgiveness uh, because yeah. I feel like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, haven't, I need to earn that. So. Don't get me wrong. I'm hard on myself as well, but yeah. I think we can. I think honestly, I think we want justice for ourselves as well. That's why the film winds up being ultimately, I think, hopeful. Is there's right. this idea of justice and then redemption, which is something that we all want. We want the justice, but we also want redemption. There's any number of movies about people who refuse to accept that they're getting away with something. They want justice. They, they believe in the concept of justice, even if it means bad things for them. It's what, uh, I think it's one of the things that, uh, the second episode of more than one lesson is about that, in which I talk about Frost, Nixon and quiz show. Um, anyway, this, t- this took a turn. Uh, now it's all about groundhog day. It's a groundhog day podcast. We should start a groundhog day podcast. <laughs> we should do as many episodes as he experiences days. Let's okay. do that. We'll never run out. Um, the theme song is uh, I Got You, Babe. Yeah. This thing writes itself. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Why doesn't that exist? 
It seems like it should. Oh, no, I gotta create this Groundhog Day I know, podcast. I got your freaking Wayne Fetterman uh, 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 that, 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 That's that's in the works. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm insisting that's in the works. Wayne Fetterman might not know that it's in the works. Yeah, but it's that's gonna happen. Yeah, we, we'll walk. We'll invite him on the show one day. But I won't. Walk but I won't be here, and I'll just have like two <laughs> bags of Burger King extra long Western bacon cheeseburgers, and I'll be like, "We're doing this. You're here. All right." And he he's a pretty obliging guy. Yeah. I feel like he, he'd say yes. Um, anyway, but no, there is definitely. I think there definitely is a sadness and a certain degree of depression in Groundhog Day, and maybe the reason that I just. But I never have considered an inherently depressing comedy. Only things. Only a comedy with elements of depression. The character of, of uh, Ned Ryerson is himself very depressing. This yeah. is his whole life. Yeah. You know, he's having this conversation. Here's the thing. In this case, he's having it with Phil every day, but he's having this conversation at least five times a day with other people. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, let's move on. We're already at over an okay. hour. You know what? Let's do our next and final ad for the, oh, sure. for the, the, the show this week. Okay. This episode is also sponsored by Aperture, providing quality movie-making equipment at an affordable price. Now, I know a number of independent filmmakers, and they've often told me about the high price of equipment rental and the even higher price to purchase that equipment. Uh, Aperture is committed to helping independent filmmakers and photographers achieve their dream without going bankrupt. So to find out more, and I keep meaning to to incorporate this into the ad, but I haven't yet, so I'll say it now, uh, they do ship uh, all over the place. It's not – they're locally based – but they ship all over the country and I think into Canada and all that. So right. uh, you don't need to worry about that. Anyway, so to find out more, just go to Aperture.com. That's A-P-U-T-U-R-E.com. Or, as we prefer, click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. Okay. Uh, I want to open the floor to a new subset of this discussion. Okay. Do you – because you mentioned very, very bad things, which I think internally I bristled for a second about whether or not this belongs on the list. And I think – I've now come to the realization why by looking at my list. Do you make a distinction between what we're talking about, these sad comedies Mm -hmm. and dark comedies? I think I do. Yes. Because I think of very, very bad things as a dark comedy, whereas a lot of this is self-conscious, you know, whereas with young adult or sideways, um, I, I, I don't think anyone's setting out to say, I'm going to make a comedy that's going to make people really uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, 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 but I think very bad things. And then uh, this is a great movie, but World's Greatest Dad is on my list. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a hilarious movie that's also very uh, unabashedly a dark comedy. Yes. It's, it's, it, there's, there's a, there's a, there's an element of envelope pushing, mm-hmm. I think, going on with that and with very bad things as well. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I think I do make that distinction. I think the reason that I consider very bad things certainly it is a dark comedy, um, but I think the ending is what makes it an, an officially depressing comedy. <laughs> because when you see, oh my gosh, even thinking about it, I cringe. When you yeah. see that these two characters they're now in wheelchairs and they have to try and raise a bunch of screaming kids and just and Cameron uh-huh. Diaz has a total nervous breakdown. End credits. Uh-huh. Um, just this idea of. You and I talk about regularly the idea of um, characters continuing after the film. 
I believe these characters are going to continue after the film right up until the day they all kill themselves. <laughs> um, because it's just, there's something especially, it's not merely that uh, John Favreau is like in a wheelchair. It's also that Leland Orser is completely uh, paralyzed and has mm-hmm. to move his chair like with his, with the thing that you like blow into. Yeah. Um, and there's just something, first off, I, that kind of thing just depresses me and I feel like maybe it shouldn't, but that's one of the reasons why I have a hard time. Like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch the diving bell and the butterfly. Um, but, and so are you excited about the theory of everything? I'm very excited about it. It's directed by James Marsh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, it's the theory of everything is when I'm most anticipated. We talked at the beginning of the episode about the big fall movies. Yeah. This is my Guardians of the fucking Galaxy, I think. The theory of everything. I'm excited for The Guardians of everything. The theory (laughs) of the galaxy. The theory of Guardians. The legend of Gahul. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, um, I am excited for it to a certain extent. I will say this. Because I know Stephen Hawking has done tremendous things since, you know, uh, his affliction, like, really... uh, Mm -hmm incapacitated uh, him bodily because I know that I'm able to take a certain degree of comfort in that, but I don't well, know that that's... Bell guy wrote a book and then died. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hate to Hawking's say he's going to die someday too. That's I know, but he's about. been around for a long time, right. you know, whereas the diving bell and the butterfly guy, he wrote a book about his situation that I'm sure is very inspiring. And then he died and I feel it's it, like, it, it killed him. Ex- yeah. And that's the other thing. <laughs> he, he had to, yeah, you know how he wrote the book. Yeah, he, he blinked it out. That yeah. sounds horrifying to me. Whereas at least Stephen Hawking can communicate with his little uh, uh, voice thing. That's not patronizing. <laughs> I guess I. Anytime you incorporate little, it yeah. just, it's inherently patronizing. Um, but as far as yeah, the film this itself, Davy Bill guy, he just blinked his little eyelid. <laughs> hey, roll a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, that's funny All right, this, um, this episode has taken a turn into dark comedy as far as a uh, theory of everything i think my biggest concern based on a couple of reviews Content that i've read form. Ex- oh watch out um somebody should study this mad zoller sites um <laughs> and really talk about it but uh i think uh based on some reviews it sounds like it's it's so it, it falls it steers so often into what you and i talk about standard biopic territory. theory of everything yeah I hope you're wrong. I hope I am too. I, I want it to be good. So I've bad. liked Eddie Redmayne for a while, and I, I like the. I, I'm excited to see him actually like get a a role that he can do something with. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, but no, there's you know, okay. Looking at my list, I can't think of any more. I can't think of any more depressing an ending than the end of the world, as seen in Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. That is not on my list as a depressing film. <laughs> It's dark. There's no question yeah, it's dark. Yeah. I do not find it depressing at all. No, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I guess if I think about it, it's, there's some depression to it. But, I, yeah, I don't think of it as a depressing movie. You know, if they had either. made it into their coal mines, and, and so a, some people right. continued, I think I would view it as depressing. Yeah, I guess that's um, interesting to think about, that there's more, it, there's more depression in just trudging on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the because then it becomes the road after yeah, that, yeah. And well, it's it's the road, but with like idiotic characters, as opposed to there's 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 nobility in the road. Whereas you know, 
George C. Scott and Peter Bull in a. Right. It's funny, but yeah. them in a in a coal mine together, just having sex with women, um, and being really excited about about it. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, it, and that idea of of trudging on. Um, there's a movie that that made my list that actually. It's not so much depressing, but there is a there's a mournful quality to it, and it's the I feel that because of just the life that I've that, that I've lived and that everybody can relate to, and that's super bad. At the end of the film, the characters th- their friendship could continue, or maybe it won't. People grow apart, mm-hmm. and of course, it's visualized by them. They both meet up with their respective uh not necessarily girlfriends but like romantic interests and then they just and, go their separate yeah, ways meta- they meet up with their respective metaphors for their future <laughs> exactly and yeah. then go wind up on completely different levels in fact and i feel like that's maybe again i don't think that's necessarily depressing because that's just part of life but it's a sad part of life you know and this is getting down to like personal just personal reactions i think as someone who has grown apart from more friends than i probably currently have mm, because because yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm bad at staying in touch or whatever i actually tend to take solace in that ending in knowing that the way that super bad ends is just part of life Friends, yeah. you move on other people move on i don't have to like it's not like the people that i used to be friends with that i don't talk to anymore are sitting around crying every day because right. i'm not texting them yeah. <laughs> you know uh we've moved on and that's that's okay and so i'm not i'm actually rather uh heartened i think <laughs> by the end of super bad because uh it i think assuages certain anxieties or worries that i have perhaps for me uh it's not again it's i i have a hard time saying it's depressing but i would venture to say it's bittersweet because it is that idea like you know i i literally think any adult can watch that ending and and think of somebody in their mind that this was the case. Yeah. Um and realize that yeah, and it's like, oh, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of a bummer, but whatever. Like um life goes on and I and I've continued and 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 I turned out okay. Um Yeah. So I think because but, if you're not, you know what? It's still sad when you think about it, you, but, but you, you know realize, what's more sad? this is almost the difference of the, end, the world ending in okay. Dr. Strangelove or things trudging on like in the road. Okay. If you don't let friendships go as they grow apart, you turn into Kristen Wiig and Bridesmaids. Oh, sure. And that's very sad. And the part in the jewelry store where she cusses out the teenage girl. Yeah. Who, on the one hand, kind of has it coming. But still, Kristen Wiig's supposed to be an adult here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's as sad. I mean, I don't think Bridesmaids gets thought of as a depressing comedy but there are parts of it that are as sad as any of the other stuff we're talking about here there are parts that are pretty damn depressing i'll say that uh i think that part um of the part where she cusses out the teenager for me personally seems like the most sad because i think it speaks to again we're gonna get personal here but i have we talked about with wayne fetterman i have this push and pull in myself Mm -hmm. of not wanting to grow old in the sense of growing up out of touch with things. Right. But also not wanting to be the guy who's sadly, desperately hanging on, like trying to pretend that he's young, like yeah. I'm not buying like skinny jeans or, okay, that's a reference from six years ago. Um, they're still, know. they're still around. Okay. Whatever kids are wearing these days. Um, uh, but, uh, so I think 
I both of those extremes are very sad, and mm-hmm. so I want to be somewhere in the middle. And so I think that's um, the thing about bridesmaids. The reason that scene sticks out to me as being particularly sad is because it's sad that she cares what this teenage girl thinks. Hmm. Yeah, and I, that's true. And maybe I've, you know, I'm I'm not saddened by Superbad because it confirms things that I like about myself. Yeah. Whereas I am sad. <laughs> At Bridesmaids, because it makes me worry about things that I worry about myself. Hmm. Like, am I going to, when I'm, you know, in another five to ten years, am I going to be worried that teenagers think I'm cool? (laughs) Yeah, that's... At some point in my life, are teenagers going to think I'm cool? They didn't think I was cool when I was a teenager. That's for sure. Well, we do have... Am I going to get to that point? We do have a couple teenage listeners to this, and maybe more than that, but there's a couple that I know of, so, uh, hey, guys. Are they cool? Shoot us. It doesn't matter. No, it, it matters which cool teenagers. people to think you're cool. I want cool teenagers. Oh, you know okay. what? Here's the thing, though. They listen to this show. That's cool in my book. They're cool. Really? Well, that's... Okay. This, this is, has nothing to do with movies, but I think... Like, it's going to sound ridiculous, but I think a lot about what the definition of cool is and what it means Mm -hmm. to be cool. And I think you kind of have to decide for yourself. I guess so. What's your definition? No, I'm saying that whatever you think is cool is cool and being cool with yourself is cool. Like, if confidence is cool, right? Oh, okay. Then it has to start with with understanding Hmm. and yourself and being okay with whatever you so i'm the least cool, cool person in the world is what you're saying i guess so if that's how you what a see bummer. so if i think listening to battleship retention makes you cool then it's cool you know if listening to battleship it, retention is cool i'm miles davis <laughs> <laughs> is that from something is that a yes okay what's that from how do you not know what that's from i can't pull it immediately that's in Billy Madison, when the kid pees himself. Okay, because I was about to say, like, cool kids pee, your, pee their pants. Yeah. And then it's like... And then the old lady says, if peeing your pants is cool, I'm Miles Davis. And then everybody, like, looks at her And he's like, creepily. oh, that is gross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Billy Madison in a very long time. Neither have I, but I think the fact that I've probably seen it about 48 times means it's burned into my memory a little bit. It is one that I think back on fondly because that one has a lot more of the absurd humor than merely stupid humor yeah but i also haven't seen it in a while it might be stupid humor i don't know norm mcdonald's in it that's a step in the right direction yeah and that one part where it cuts to <laughs> it cuts to him and his where, friend where's billy hey where's billy he's in school and by the way at this point he's been in school for months <laughs> yeah, but they're just this is sitting, like three quarters of the way through the movie <laughs> they're just sitting next to the pool so it's just, it, this is literally a cutaway uh-huh. of and he goes billy's been in school for months and he goes oh yeah <laughs> cut back to the action oh i love it um yeah so i'm trying to think if there's anything else um we should uh, wrap up soon here yeah uh i'll bring i'll bring this up real quick uh there are three movies that i i'm sure when i wrote this a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um i'm sure i meant these to all go together Jurassic park the lost world Jurassic park three that's the one <laughs> the, those last two are particularly uh, they're both depressing and hilarious. I never saw Jurassic Park 3. Uh, it's not very good. Um, I'll say this. It doesn't, uh, hmm. But it has the pterodactyls or pterodons yeah. that the book has that aren't in the first movie. Pterodon or pteranodon? Pteranodon, I think is okay. what I'm trying right. to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it has one or two, uh, really 
good moments, but for the rest, for the most part, have you ever, okay, this is an, this is a topic for another day and I absolutely want to do it because it's something I've talked with um, friend of the show, Jason Eakin about, have you ever just run across like what it could be a filmmaker or it could be a genre or it could be a franchise and you see a movie that's part of it and you just think, uh, what? Like, what? I don't think you realize what you're a part of. Okay. Um, this is about Alien versus Predator Requiem. Wow. What? No, I think it knew exactly what it was a part of. Okay. No, I like for me. Okay. Like, for example, um, Steven Spielberg, uh, The Terminal. Okay. It's not a part of a franchise. Though. It's not. No, but it's in the world of Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg makes not even necessarily big movies, but his movies are an event. Okay. You ask people to list from memory his films, they'll obvious they'll rattle off the obvious ones, and then they'll probably get to the second tier. I I almost guarantee you they'll completely forget the terminal. It's not that it's not necessarily it's not that it's not his type of movie. Okay. It's just for some reason it just doesn't seem to fit. Okay. And you're gonna have to lead me down the path where this ties into our topic. Oh, here. it's that both Jurassic Park and The Lost World Jurassic Park. Oh, sorry. No, this is leading into the other thing you took us into. Um, okay. I thought you were trying to get us back to our topic. I'll get back to it in a moment. Okay. Um, yeah, the thing about the third one is that, like, the story is so small huh. that it, it seems so much smaller than the other two movies, which have an epic uh, spectacle quality to them. And even though there are set pieces in the third film, it just never has that. And I find myself wondering if it was... Spielberg, instead of Joe Johnston that directed the third one, would he have somehow found that majesty? Yeah, just the grandeur. This, this grandeur is a good word for it. Yeah, this almost this intangible thing that he can inject into uh, an epic when he wants to. Um, but yeah, so I guess that was uh, one thing that I that, that's a conversation that I want to have, but we'd have to work out how to have it because to me it's always hard to to pinpoint it. Like, uh, for example, uh, in the Harry Potter franchise, for a while I thought this about Order of the Phoenix, but that that went away. But now I kind of think about it when it comes to Goblet of Fire, that aside from the major character death, um, it, it feels very much like a transitional film. Oh, it is. But like... Not trans, like not necessarily for the characters, although there's there's some of that. It it feels like almost a non movie. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's my just, least favorite of the Harry Potter movies. Wait, what did I say? You said a Goblet of Fire. Oh shoot, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry. Half Blood Prince. Oh, I like Half Blood Prince or Blood Prince a lot. I enjoy it, but for some reason it doesn't feel. It's one that I never, re- aside from obviously Jim Broadbent, who's awesome. Aside from that, like I never really want to feel the need to return to it. I want to return to almost any of those other films. But that one, because it's that. in between, and it's and it's all about setting setting something up, but not paying it off. Except, of course, with that character death. Um, I, yeah, but I kind of think of um, maybe this is because I'm a, a veteran TV watcher. I think of Harry Potter's five, six, seven A, and seven B as almost like a miniseries. Oh, absolutely, and they're all directed by the same guy, so yeah, that stands that's true. for reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but for some reason, when I saw that one, I was like, of course I was still happy with it because it still has a lot of the stuff that I like. But for some reason, it just it didn't feel like it lived up to Harry Potter, even though it firmly is that. I don't know. I couldn't. Again, it's this intangible thing. I'm sorry. That's a concept uh, topic for another time. OK. Uh, what I was going to mention is there. I have three movies here directed by uh, Robert Altman. 
Altman, I think, really did a good job of the de- of creating the depressing comedy. All right, I'm so, poised to disagree with you. Okay, the player. Okay, I think that is now. Of course, I think there's a fair amount of overlap between depressing and cynical. And, and the, I don't. And the That's player, the I think, is a deeply cynical film. I, I this is where I was poised to disagree with you. Okay, because I think of Robert Altman as a very cynical filmmaker, and I think that cynicism keeps it at too far a distance to being to being depressing i think to a certain extent to be truly sad that you need empathy and i don't think that robert altman i think robert altman has always lacked not always but has often lacked empathy with his characters and that's why i have never been i like a lot of his movies quite a bit Mm -hmm. i've never been quite a biggest fan big a fan of robert altman as um a lot of other people are and i Mm -hmm. think Especially in a certain period, uh, yeah. because I don't like MASH, and I don't really like Nashville, although I have come to respect Nashville mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its scope and execution. But um, I like the player a lot, but I don't think of it as a sad movie that much. Now, we're going to head down another rabbit trail. I apologize. Okay. Is sad the same as depressing? I don't think I, I, don't think I equate the two. Okay, even if it's not, I still think both of them are separate from cynical. Okay. I here's the thing. Cynical for for me cynical will never lead into sad. It will lead to depressing. Okay. Cuz I think there's a certain degree I can dis- feel sad I, for the person who's cynical. I can watch Mash and feel sad for Robert Altman. <laughs> oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> um I think I think there's a, in depression, there's a certain degree of despair. And I think cynicism is often That's a per, uh, oh, I think there's I think uh, yeah. cynicism and, de- and depression come from the same thing. I think there's a certain degree of despair, uh, a feeling like you can't change it, you know. And I think for me, one will often lead to another. Um, and so the player is, is a remarkably cynical film. Um, Doctor T and the Women, I think, is a very depressing film and a very funny. We still laugh. I, I remember still laughing. Laugh at the yeah. player. I haven't seen Doctor T and the Women in a long time. I was a defender for a while. I don't, again, not having seen it for a while, I don't feel confident defending it anymore. It doesn't have a great, great reputation, that movie. Yeah, I remember at the time uh, in my Robert Altman class, I wrote a paper about uh, the, oh, I wrote a paper about just the general misogyny in all of his films. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't, again, I didn't necessarily believe that it was all there, like that he was actively doing this thing Um until you get to Dr. T and the women and then you're just like, oh, geez. and the fact that it's, it's harsh. E- even the title, yeah. Dr. T and the women. Yeah. He's surrounded by women. And incidentally, they're all, almost all of them are blonde. Um, except one who I believe is a lesbian. So, um, <laughs> is it, you know, like you have to take note of these things. Yeah. Um, and that he's just, and they're, they're just making his life hell. And by the time a tornado takes him away, he's just happy to be rid of these women. Um, but anyway, and so th- there's hum- yeah. I need to watch that again. There's humor in there. I think so. I haven't. There's I haven't a lot of humor in there. There's Andy Richter in that movie. <laughs> oh, you mean the hair on her head? That's one of my. <laughs> I still remember that line. Um, but yeah, and so, but I think it's also very. I think it. I think it's very misanthropic, and so I, I find it a little bit depressing. And you know what? The third film I put on here, I actually think I would put it down as sad, not depressing, and that's uh, Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, that one is. Yeah, it's sad, but not. I think that's exactly right. It's seven out of depressing because it's so much is about death and things ending. Yeah, but it's also not. 
it's not despairing about them. Yeah. It's, I'm trying to think what the word is. It's accepting, but not like welcoming. If that makes sense. Is yeah. that, that's a very fine line we're walking. Yeah. Cause it's, the movie is sad about the fact that things are ending and people die. Yeah. But it's also accepting of that fact and not, not fighting against it. Right. In a way that could be depressing. And I think, you know, when you incorporate other things like the fact that it's his last film and it's also one of his most sentimental and he's a filmmaker who I think almost never got sentimental. I can't think of a film where he's sentimental. Yeah. Um, I wonder what it says about me that I like that movie so much. Prairie Home Companion? Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't think it says anything bad. I think uh, there are things that I what really is, respond I'm to. I'm going to look up the Rotten Tomatoes because, of course, that's... Okay. I prefer Metacritic, but that's fine. Oh. I don't know about Metacritic. But yeah, and so, uh, yeah, I'm t- I, know, I know exactly what you mean. It's almost like... Uh, who is it? Oh, I think... Oh, this is actually, I think, from uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. I think part one. 81% of Rotten Tomatoes. There you go. It's a B-. minus. Um, but... Uh, I think it's in Harry Potter where they say that somebody, one of the like knights that one of the possess, original possessors of the Deathly House, eventually he he came to view death as a friend, um, and I that's the impression I get from Prairie Home Companion. It's almost like he's not necessarily welcoming it, but you know what? Almost this feeling of like I, I had a pretty good ride. This wouldn't be the end of the world, even though, even though it's literally the end of my world. Like, but I don't know if they viewed death as a friend. When death comes to yeah. a prayer home companion, they view her mm-hmm. um, not as a friend, but they do welcome her. Yeah. And they're genial. Yeah. But I think... I think acceptance is the word. Uh, you said it earlier. I think that's the one. But, you know, but to get more specific about this movie... And uh, maybe we should do a whole uh, episode on Prairie Home Companion. So maybe we can do a commentary. We always said we were going to do that. Back when we started podcasting, we said we were going to do that. People have been asking us about that. And lately, but also way. a lot of podcasts do it now. I know. So I feel like I don't want to do it. The but thing, um, okay, yeah. Anyway, the thing about a Prairie Home Companion is that as much as it is a movie about accepting death, when death comes, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily recognize her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like she walks in and they're going, oh, I see what happens now. Yeah. Like, they're treating her nicely as a as a visitor, but yeah. I don't know that they get it. Do you know what I mean? Maybe not. I don't know. There's a lot to that movie. Yeah. More than I, I feel like, I don't know, more than, may, than might be in most Robert Altman films. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, a lot of his films, th- there are deeper themes, but there tends to be a lot of what you see is what you get. Um he tended not to dabble in like that type of story beat. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Although I, have you seen three women? I've not seen three women. That gets a little, I don't know if esoteric is the word. It's probably a word. That's probably it's a, it's a, a word. word. It's probably yeah. a good word for it. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, I, can we you, should wrap up. Yeah. Can you think of any, uh, any more? Did we say everything on your list? Uh, I put up on here. Okay. Um, which is actually not a movie that I love, but I love the, beginning of it yeah um i put uh cyrus but you could kind of uh is that um who directed cyrus is that the duplass brothers i think so i think you could kind of put all their films to a certain extent there's a lot of sadness that they don't shy away from mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm wondering now why i put cyrus over jeff who lives at home which i think um is maybe their masterpiece but um i've seen neither one 
Have you seen any of their films? Did you see The Puffy Chair? Nope. Did you see Dodeca Pentathlon? Nope. Uh, did you see Baghead? Nope. Okay. You haven't seen any of them then. Yeah. Um, and of course, Miles Teller stars in all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why I picked Cyrus because I actually feel much closer to Jeff who lives at home. But Jeff who lives at home has... I guess it's sort of like... It's not... Um, conceptual in the way that groundhog day is but it has a positive ending mm-hmm. um but uh yeah jeff who lives at home is about theoretically it's about or ostensibly i should say it's about this one character who lives at home and mm-hmm. has clearly not become the adult he yeah. wishes he could have become but really that's true of all the characters in the movie susan sarandon at helms judy greer mm-hmm. they're all sort of finding themselves in a place they wouldn't have expected them to be, to be at their age. Right. And working through that. And there's a, there's a sadness to that, but it, it works out. Okay. So you, so because it has maybe not upbeat, but it has a positive ending. It's, you have a hard time. I do feel like a depressing movie for a, for a movie comedy or otherwise to be considered depressing. I feel like it has to have an ending that is not a happy one. Okay. Or at least then not I guess a that's, maybe that's why I didn't put Jeff who lives at home on here. No. Um, oh, and then I put, um, as long as one that we talked about Bill Murray with Groundhog Day, I put Broken Flowers, but I'm not sure that that, there's a lot of things in Broken Flowers that make me laugh, but I, it might be a drama with a lot of comedy in it. Boy, it's hard to say. I do consider it a comedy. But I, I consider almost anything with Bill Murray in it inherently a comedy, which I probably shouldn't. Did you ever um, see Hyde Park on Hudson? No, but I sure I assume there's no laughs in it. No, there are. Really? Okay. It's a it, Hyde Park on Hudson is an. It's. It's so inoffensive a film that I find it a bit <laughs> offensive. Oh, okay. It's a pleasant watch. I didn't like hate it while I was watching it, but looking back on it, I'm like, why did I spend my time? Yeah. That's it's it's a good example of ultimately just like yeah who gives a shit. You <laughs> yeah. had Laura Linney and Bill Murray in a film, and this is what you decided to go with. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I will mention one more. Um, I feel like I need to, and that is the King of Comedy, which I've never seen. It's still. Got comedy in the title. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. You would love it. Um, it's Martin Scorsese film, and you know what? Oh, is it? I don't like this guy <laughs> one bit. Um, here's what I will say is that it is even directed in a depressing way. When you, I mean, when I think of Martin Scorsese, I think of a very uh, a virtuoso filmmaker, mm-hmm. like visually stunning. He, And so this is not that. This is a lot of like static shots, nothing remarkably interesting on screen visually – and when you see every other movie he makes, you have to you have to assume this is a choice. He's choosing to shoot it this way, mm-hmm. um, and it's just this guy who's Rupert Pepkin who's just delusional. And it, I mean, it's it's a, it's certainly a, akin to Taxi Driver in a lot of ways, but a character that's just that's still willing to like do some pretty rough things to get what he wants, but also what he wants is, is so kind of small. It's still funny. It's still a very funny movie. One could make the argument that's primarily a drama, but I think, I think 
I think it could be considered a comedy. Uh, and that ending, I won't, I won't even, I won't even give a hint because I want you to be surprised by it when you see it. Okay. That ending, it's, it's triumphant in a way that is so horrendously depressing <laughs> that uh, I can't even begin to talk about it. I can't wait for you to see it because I think you will love it. You don't have it. I do not have it. All right, it's on my Christmas list. Oh, okay. I'll get. I'll I'm get just, to work on. That. I'm telling that to you and you at home. Yeah, our PO box is on the website. Absolutely. You can find that at battleshipretention.com. You can uh that's where you find all our movie reviews. This week, keep your eyes peeled at battleshipretention.com because Tyler and I are both writing a bunch of reviews, right? You actually some- I'm writing only I think I'm writing only one or two. This okay, you this have, week, yeah. Okay. Well, I've got a bunch of uh well, if you, uh, this yeah, this coming week you'll find reviews from me of Saint Vincent, starring Bill, Bill Murray, mm-hmm. uh, Kill the Messenger, um, Whiplash, the aforementioned Whiplash, yeah. and uh, at some point in there I had to find a time to write a document, write a review of a documentary about Heinrich Himmler. So that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> be upbeat. Yes. So you can find all that at battleshipretention.com as well as all the other shows in the BP fleet. You can email us at david at Sorry, David at BattleshipPretension.com or Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. You can follow both of us on Twitter separately at I, David, am at The Pretension, and Tyler is at More Lessons. You don't get credit for following Battleship Pretension unless you follow both of us. That's true, yes. So you have to follow both of us. Um, And, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you for... Oh, was there something else? About More Than One Lesson. Yeah. Um, Oh, right, yes. More Than One Lesson. Yeah, I host a, another podcast called yes. More Than One Lesson. That's what I was supposed uh, to And say. we are going into Halloween times. And I will say this, any any of you who uh, probably don't listen to More Than One Lesson because it is overtly Christian, um, if ever there is a month to listen, it is October because that's when times. we, it's Halloween times. Uh, certainly there is faith stuff incorporated into uh, the discussion, but it tends to be less uh, less so than than your usual episode, uh, and in an attempt to alienate the listeners I do have, I've decided that I'm going to kick kick off October by talking about Nosferatu. Uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm apparently allergic to listeners. Uh, more than one lesson, uh, but I talk about uh, the F.W. Murnau film. I talk about Werner Herzog's remake, and I talk about E. Elias. I never know how you say this. M. E. R. H. I. G. E. I don't know. It's hard to. I can't. Yeah. I can't even. Okay. Merhig. Merhig. That sounds good. Um, by the way, if you want to hear an exchange just like that, go and listen to that episode. Um, That's Sha- the Shadow of the Vampire. Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah. So that was. It was a fun discussion. Uh, okay. And if and we very seldom get into like silent film and German expressionism over there, so I was excited to do so. My other podcast is the part I forgot. Is the TV podcast Hey Watch This uh, that I do with King of TV Paul Goebel. This week, we are talking about Project Runway, just dropping in on Project Runway, seeing what's going on over there, and uh, the premiere of the pointless new show, Grace Point. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. Paul is making me watch it. Yeah, that's I, the, I heard good things about this it. This is the problem with doing a show where you have to assign one of the things. Mm-hmm. I can no longer say, this is what I said to Paul on the show last week, I can no longer say, I can no longer swear that I'm not going to watch something, because Paul could just make me watch it. Yeah. So, yeah. I liked Broadchurch. Don't you like that? Isn't that a neat thing? It is neat. But um, I really didn't think I was going to have to watch Grace Point, and now I'm going to have to watch the pilot. 
and we'll see how it goes. I'm sorry to hear that. I liked Broadchurch. It already exists. It's already in the English language. Why do we need it again? I don't know. I'm not a TV guy. I have no opinion. Okay. TV Thank- is just over my head. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 